As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm doing an impression of Joe Devine and today I am joined by Joe Devine doing an impression of someone else. Hello, Joe. Hey, man. How's it going? Good. I don't understand the impression you're doing, though. This is this is UOL. It's only for visual viewers, not audio listeners. But this is a thing you do. It's a wave. Anyway, uh, I'm well. Thanks for having me on as a guest today on my own podcast. And as I understand that you'll be doing lots of tactical analysis. And I absolutely will. Uh, sometimes I like to uh, step into the shoes of um, the people that work below me. <laughs> and I have done that with you today. I'm going to show you basically how you can, you know, engage better with the audience. And and main thing I'm going to do is speak a lot more slowly than you speak so that people can understand the high quality tactical analysis that I'm going to give them. Joe thinks I'm coming for his job. <laughs> I'm also joined today by the enthusiastic Nick Miller. Hello, Nick. Hello, JJ. Basically what Joe just said there is he's a control freak and he can't bear to, you know, leave us to do any of this. True, and he beats me sometimes. He doesn't do that, I should be clear. Um, you went to the football this weekend? I did. Derby County against Nottingham Forest. Some quite low-level uh, football in terms of quality, but, you know, a, f- a fun time was had by all. The, by which I mean me and my dad. And the Graham Shinney Scott McKenna derby, of course. Is what yeah, it the, as, it was, as it was trailed, yes, by uh, you. Just you, just then. Two excellent ex-Aberdeen players. But we are also joined by the, what's the best word to use here? Glorious. Seb Stafford-Bluer, who joins us from Germany. Hello, Seb. Hello, JJ Ball. Did you have a nice weekend also? I did. I did. I watched a lot of football, ate a lot of food, didn't really leave the house. It was raining very heavily in Germany. So, yeah, I had fun. I feel like I I I shouldn't admit that that amounted to a fun weekend, but it did. (laughs) Well, it's good you watch lots of football because we're going to talk about lots of football today. Mostly from the Premier League, occasionally from abroad, from the foreign lands, uh, places like Spain, France, and is Germany in there? Germany is a foreign land. Yeah, it's among like that, that sort of group of countries bracketed as foreign lands. Might talk about a little bit about Dortmund. That might be interesting. Talk a little bit about PSG and Lionel Messi and... That team they were playing that nobody can pronounce and that I'm not going to try to pronounce. And hey, maybe do a little bit of Villarreal Atletico Madrid because that finished in a very, very funny way, which we shall discuss. That sounds good. And I'm not entirely knowledgeable, clued up on all of those teams. But you know what I would do if I wanted to be, Nick? Would you by any chance subscribe to The Athletic? I would subscribe to The Athletic. And for a limited time, I keep saying that it's all of the time, it seems to be, you can go to theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. And right now there is a deal, 30 days of free trial. Not a free trail, a free trial. And uh, if you like The Athletic after that, and you will because it's great, then you can subscribe afterwards for an amount of money. And if you don't want to, then that's also fine. It's really up to you, but there's some great articles in there, like Joey D'Urso's piece on a duck who was given a minute's applause this week. Keith. Keith the duck. Keith the duck. Forever in our hearts. Do you have an opinion on Keith the duck? Uh, no, no, I do, but I best keep it to myself. You said earlier, best keep it to myself. Well, that's good. Well, I like Keith the Duck, and uh, I think that's a fine way 
to move on to the actual podcast about football with no ducks, because the only duck that should really matter is the mallards. So now I'm going to leave you in the cool hands and the warm embrace of Joe Devine, Nick Miller, and Seb Stafford Blower. Manchester City 5-0 Arsenal. Beyond all of the obvious points, I read, soft Arsenal, typical Arsenal, they are rubbish. Can we talk about the midfield two that they began this game with? Seb Stafford-Bluer, please tell me who the midfield two were that Arsenal started the game against Man City. Well, originally in midfield two, becoming midfield one after Granit Xhaka got him sent off. But originally he lined up alongside Martin Odegaard, which felt weird. Like if you... If you were going to the Etihad and you had defensive issues, key defensive components injured or absent, I think I might be a little bit more cautious in my midfield selection, particularly when neither of those players are, well, Erdegaard's not really paid to be disciplined. Jacket is, but he's not. And it was just a... Welcome back to a, Arsenal. <laughs> Play next to Granit Xhaka in a two against well, Man it was, City. It was, but didn't, but didn't that, isn't that how... Beyond all the stuff about soft Arsenal, crap Arsenal, aren't they going to get hammered Arsenal? Didn't everybody read that, that team selection and just get a little bit of a shiver of fear for them? I mean, not me for a few reasons, but like it was, it was asking for trouble. It was... What was it? Uh, a fi- I, it was 5-4-1. It. Like so we changed system to match up with Man City. Uh, but then you've got Odegaard who sets a 10 with Zaka and then Xhaka was gone, so you don't have a midfield now all of a sudden. Nick, can you make sense of Teta's thinking? Did it make sense tactically to start? No. Um, it felt like um, there's a bit in Blackadder where they're talking about going uh, just going over the top and uh, how... The season four, is it, when they're in the... Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah uh, and they're saying, well, that we've tried that every single time. But if we try it again, that'll be the last thing that the Germans think, even though it hasn't succeeded at any time before. It was almost like um, Mikel Arteta thought, well, we're playing a team managed by someone who, if he could, would probably play 10 midfielders. So let's, the last thing he would possibly think for us to try will be to play just one midfielder. Um, And it didn't work. I, I, uh, as mentioned, I was at another game at this time and I've watched it back since but I don't really think I needed to watch it to kind of predict what was going to happen or indeed tell you what actually did happen it was just so entirely so entirely predictable that um, I could have uh, you know could have spent my time doing something else rather than watching this game back can I jump in here too and say that uh, I also didn't watch the game but I feel I experienced it in the way many fans will have done which was checking my football score app every 10 minutes or so and fully expecting to see another goal and seeing another goal every time I looked, uh, it's embarrassing. Isn't that quite an interesting uh, thing about football? You can consume it in different ways now, and one of the ways is that on the bus, not sure. actually watching it. Yeah. And I think everyone who didn't watch the game can kind of... There's some sort of games you can work out exactly what's happened without actually seeing the game. Yeah. As soon as you see Xhaka red card, you know that he's lunged into someone for no reason. <laughs> yeah. And I, uh, another way that I consumed this game was through producer Adonis's uh, furious WhatsApp messages uh, in the group about the the sort of ongoing calamity of Arsenal. And you know, in that fury was again the absolute predictableness of, uh, of pretty much everything that that went on in the game. I th- the weird thing is, actually, I want to know: um, does, does anyone care about Arsenal in Germany that you see, Seb? Like, do you read about it or hear about it? No, they don't really. I mean, I no, I don't think I've I've come across any sort of debate or any interest. Yeah. Uh, Liverpool are very big because of Jurgen Klopp, and okay. I was well going to ask was uh, how come Mikel Arteta seems to still not be. I mean, I think there's certain Arsenal fans who started to maybe not be best pleased with him, but I don't see it anywhere else. But it's, it seems to be constantly that he talk of Conte has ramped up a little bit. With fans only, I think, so, over the yeah. last week. Or so. Maybe it's just because he's a good manager and available, though. But you put Conte into that Arsenal team, surely that would then just... I mean, he wouldn't be where they are just now, would they, Seb? No, but would Conte take their job? Because if you if you approach someone who works most often in two or at best three-year cycles and you gave him that group of players, 
maybe they're a little bit better off, but most likely just becomes a very, very unhappy place very, very quickly. And you, you kind of, you you introduce an element of trauma into the situation, which I don't think Arsenal can, can really deal with at the moment. Like the, the one thing that Arteta has in his favour is that he seems to, I don't know whether he's perpetuating this myth to, to kind of protect his job security, but there's a lot of talk of process, which is one of those words in football, which is code for something that, I mean, I'm not even sure what. It's like, well, you know, trust the process, trust the process. So I go, well, I'll trust the process when I see what the process actually is or what it might be. Whereas Conte is a bit more process, exclamation mark, all capital letters. <laughs> and it's not really process, it's win now or have a massive tantrum and set fire to the building. Do exactly and what I, I say Arsenal. when I say it. It, it, if, if Conte did take over this group of Arsenal players, they could it could either could either reduce them all to sort of gibbering wrecks in the corner, or they could end up like the guys from Fight Club. You know, they initially <laughs> they, they they come to Tyler Durden as he says like wads of cookie dough, and they're kind of these slightly dweeby, a little bit angry, bit flabby guys. And then after you know six seven weeks of Fight Club, they're all kind of bashing the hell out of each other and all ripped up to the eyeballs. So maybe that'll happen. Yeah, if 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 Granite Xhaka was that character in Fight Club, he would still be like, he'd be one of those background people. It'd be a fight going on in the foreground. Even in Fight Club, he'd be asking someone to hold him back. And, yeah, no, like yeah, just definitely hold me back. This is the thing about Granite Xhaka because we talk about soft Arsenal and weak Arsenal, and then we criticise a well, the club cat, well, not the club captain anymore, former club captain and central midfielder for a reckless reducing tackle in the opposition half, and and, and one part of you thinks. Yeah, Arsenal could do a little bit of that. Could do with a little bit of that. But it's kind of damning of Jacko that he's so ineffective at that kind of. Mm-hmm. How do you describe it? You can't even. You can't, I think he's a good footballer. Yeah. But he just can't get this side of things right. Well, you, watch, you watch Fabinho versus uh, Chelsea over the weekend, and the man managed to get away with I don't know four or five like yellow card tackles without getting a card because of the way in which he does it. Right? Yeah, there, there is an intelligence to that kind of play, and Jacko looks more like someone who's lost their head when they do it. Yeah, he's the anti-Fernandinho, anti-Mark Van Bommel. Yeah. Like, he's the guy that, like, manages to attract all the attention all at once in a way that really damages his team, which is kind of um, antithesis of what we um, what we think of as kind of smart defensive midfield play now. He feels like a kind of, the kind of guy who's read about Fernandinho and Mark Van Bommel in a book somewhere and thinks, hmm, I should do that. But has hasn't actually, finished the book. Like, yeah, he, yeah. like read like three chapters and thought, I, I, can't be, I don't need I to, I don't need to finish, this, finish that. I, I'm, I'm pretty confident I don't know what to do. I'm just going to go out and do it. So kick yeah. people. Okay, cool. Um, I'm conscious that we keep slagging off Arsenal and I think we'll be doing it quite a lot during the season, but uh, we should talk about how good City were. In fact, no, we should talk about how they weren't really good in the first half, but still managed to come up 2-0 and finished 5-0 winners without a striker. And obviously there was a bit of a saga this week um, with a certain... Cristiano Ronaldo, who didn't sign. But Ferran Torres, is he the number nine that they need? I mean, it it looks looks that way at the moment. He sort of seems to fit the ideal of what Pep Guardiola would want in a number nine, in as much as he wasn't a number nine, and now Guardiola is sort of turning him into one. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this this is not a kind of new point, and I'm sure it's been said many, many times before, but the, the whole Cristiano Ronaldo thing was very strange because I can't think of a player, a, a less Guardiola player than Cristiano Ronaldo, um, unless they were sort of planning to use him as some kind of like deluxe Andy Carroll, just to sort of have on the bench and throw on when they needed something, you know. Um, a plan B. Yeah, I, I, the, the, the world's most expensive plan B but yeah I mean I my I, I couldn't really tell you what um Guardiola has has done to make uh Ferran Torres into you know this this number nine that he has my brain doesn't really work that way mm. um someone more tactically minded JJ. Well, Joe Devine's here there, so yeah. absolutely yeah. now listen what he's done is he's swapped the dinners and lunches that he's been giving to Gabriel Jesus and uh, and Torres because of course Torres previously played wide and Jesus played in the middle that's right isn't it and now they play the other place and they're both better hmm 
Now, joking aside, the thing the person I was very impressed with... You were with, joking. Not, was I? The, the person I was very impressed with, not I didn't watch this game, but the person I was impressed with in the uh, Man City's previous game was Gabriel Jesus, because he was absolutely incredible on the wing. He did exactly what you want a modern winger to do. His decision-making was perfect. He seemed to know exactly when to cut inside, exactly when to take it down the wing. Mm-hmm. He almost always found a man with a pass. I mean, I, I cannot believe that I haven't seen him play in that position before. He took to it perfectly. I think he, people in Brazil have said that's kind of... What he's always wanted to do, but right. he's just sort of sh- he was bought by Manchester City and sort of showed up, and s- someone decided he was centre forward, so they played him at number nine, and you know he wears number nine, um, and it, which seems like some sort of uh, you, you know when you you've n- known someone for a little while, but you don't know we can't remember what their name is, sure, and there reaches a point where it's too awkward to actually ask them what their name is. That's right, Mark. <laughs> exactly. Steve, you, you, it, it feels like that's what's sort of happened with Gabriel Jesus. He's that they've put him at centre forward, uh, and it's only now that they've thought, oh no, actually we probably should play him where he wants to play. I mean, he's like a new player, though. I, 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 like, I, I think I was of the opinion before somebody who doesn't watch City every single game. I'm not an expert on Gabriel Jesus, but watching him sort of waste away as far as a Man City player can waste away a player who you bring him on and he scores a goal every other time he's a substitute but doesn't seem to be fulfilling the, the huge expectation and promise that, um, that he had at the beginning but he seems like a new player he seems like someone who could now fit into almost any other Premier League team any top team uh, on the right hand side he's amazing JJ yes I also remember when he played for City uh, against Real Madrid I think it was Maybe the first leg when they went to Bernabeu or Bernabeu, I don't know how you pronounce that one, but uh, that one. And uh, he played a very diligent role on the left where he was essentially an, an extra wing back. Yeah. Which is not what you think a number nine does. No. So well done to Pep Guardiola getting all of that out of him. That's. Well, I mean, I would say well done, Gabriel Jesus. It seems like Pep's been playing him in the wrong place for it's all the manager. three or four years. It's all the manager's problem at Arsenal. It's all the manager's gain at Man City. That's, sure. that's how it works. Yeah. So let's move on now to Liverpool 1 1 Chelsea. Mm. Uh, which is a game that I watched in the Old Red Line Theatre pub. Mm, best pub in London. It was a lovely pub to watch the football in. I enjoyed it. Um, and I saw the game. And I think what we should ask on this, even though it's quite mainstream and probably going to be covered in every other podcast in the world. It's the, it's the question to ask. It's the question, yeah. Seb, was that a penalty? And if it was a penalty, was it a red card? Of course, of course. I, I, the rule is difficult and I, I don't like penalty red card. Just on principle, I think it ruins a game but the amount of people raging against it is was a little bit strange because he that's always a red card when you whenever you have a like a player on a goal line and his ball makes contact his ball makes contact his ball makes contact with mm. a hand i think i was about to say that should definitely be a red card if that happens that <laughs> is a red card anyway if his hand makes contact with the ball then you have no choice and Sometimes, especially on social media, actually, sometimes it feels like we like we expect part of a referee's job to be to maintain the balance of a game and to sort of overlook rules. I completely agree that referees shouldn't um, go out of their way to influence a game. But if that hadn't been a red card, I don't think you can defend the referee for not giving it. Um, I think if, if you if you had the opportunity to change the rule and made that yellow card and penalty thing, that's absolutely fine. Unless it's one of those ridiculous ones where he sort of Suarez is the ball out of the top corner or, you know, out of the sort of, um, as he did against Ghana. Um, but uh, yeah, you, you have to give that as a red card. Joe Devine, I bet you have a reasonable uh, analysis or opinion on this penalty. The rule is wrong. The rule is a stupid, stupid rule and it's wrong. And Seb's absolutely right. I think people on social media, very, very important, uh, I think maybe there was some misunderstanding about uh, whether or not it was uh, the correct decision or not. That, uh, obviously, the decision is correct. It's not the referee's fault. The rule is wrong and stupid. And Seb's absolutely right. If it's a Suarez incident, if, if it is entirely uh, intentional, um, and we can say that for sure in the case of Suarez, for example, um, or Thierry Henry, indeed, we could say that too, uh, then, uh, then, then, yeah, then of course it's a red card because that is a, it's, an, it's an egregious act. But in this case... I, ca- I cannot understand how anybody can say that that is definitely intentional. It's not possible to assume intent 
from the footage that we have. Therefore, we have to uh, we have to assume innocence in that in that case. His his arm moves in a natural way. It's not unnatural. I understand the thing about it pushing it forward. I get yeah, that his arms I, I move towards the ball. I can't see who anyone thinks it's a. It's it's foul. obviously not deliberate. You try having a ball kicked at your knee and then at your arm in a split second and not move your arm in that way. And then to have a hundred people telling me on Twitter, oh, it's obviously deliberate. How, how, how is it deliberate? People how said can that anyone say that? Uh, I understand that the, the, the decision is correct. It's correct. But the rule is a stupid rule and should be removed. And that is a shame because that was a wonderful game. And yeah, no one can tell me that Chelsea shame, wouldn't have won that game. I am not a Chelsea fan. I don't care whether they win or not. But they were very impressive in the first half. And it was an exciting game. Liverpool were on the, had a fantastic start, but on the back foot towards the end of that half. And uh, it's just, I think it's just ridiculous. Ridiculous. I'm a- I was angry at home about that. I was angry in the old Red Lane Theatre. Mm. Were you angry? No, no, no. <laughs> I, not really. No, I just uh, enjoying um, Joe suddenly turning into a caller into 606. There. That's, <laughs> no, that's it's nice. it's all a little bit that, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't really. Th- th- this is one of those. There are a number of opinion, a number of sort of topics in the world that I am very happy not to uh, not not to have an opinion and just to kind of sit back and you know watch differing opinions like Joe has expressed there. This isn't. I mean, this, this doesn't make ideal fodder for a topical football podcast. But um, no, I, I, I just I don't really care. No. Well, fine then. I mean, it's. I think it's ridiculous also, but what we should do is look at how ridiculously good Thomas Schuchel has made Chelsea very quickly. Um, I can't remember a manager having such a massive impact in the way he has. Uh, uh, Seb, can you, can you prove me wrong? No, no, I completely agree with you, it, but I, I approach it from a slightly different way, JJ. I just think, how does Frank Lampard ever get another job? He took, because you can you can say, right, well, that team that won the European Cup, he had them in what eighth or something or ninth. Yeah, I think it was ninth. Um, he took them over in. Yeah, couldn't get a tune out of Harvard. Couldn't defend. Uh, managed to concede three times at West Brom, and that was a, a European Cup winning team by the end of it. Hey, you know what was really impressive is the um, the bit about surviving Anfield with ten men because, like, even with eleven, like previously, how often would we seen Liverpool? crank the pressure up to such an extent that teams start to make mistakes, teams start to kind of, their systems start to fail without the ball. And part of that is Liverpool have declined a little bit. They're not quite what they were, or they're not quite at where they were at this point in time. But Chelsea was so impressive in the second half. Um, And there's a resilience and a kind of togetherness that not only do you not really associate with Chelsea because they're not the club of battling spirit, are they? Um, I don't think that's the kind of the place they occupy in people's imagination. But also when you've come into a club like that after seven or eight months to kind of to forge all of these things that you need to survive in that scenario are really, really impressive. It's what you'd expect after you win a Champions League. I, I accept that. But it's still one of those where... If that happens to you, and I think we've kind of covered the various issues about the red card, but you can feel a bit hard done by, you can have a bit of a sulk. I think there's a little bit of a collective loss of discipline before halftime. Antonio Rudiger got yellow carded. Tickle himself had a little bit of a rage at the fourth official. And those kind of things, they can um, they can throw the fibres in a football team. And you can go out into the second half and you can have lost the game within 10 or 15 minutes and that's that. And no one would have no one would have had much of a problem with it, but they dug in and they came away with it. And I think it's a yeah, it was super impressive. Um, and I don't know. I feel like there's another side to it. I feel like there's a there's a way of analysing what Liverpool are as well off the back of it. I was a little, I felt a little bit shortchanged. It might have been just because the game was so good in the first half, but I was expecting something a little bit better. I was going to ask you half-time. whether um, Liverpool are or how good. Liverpool is and will be. But I'm going to do that question after a short break. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. And we're back. So, Seth, please tell me, how many or how is, when are, how good are Liverpool this season? JJ, I do not know. <laughs> I'm not sure. I I wonder because I I don't know whether there's been a pronounced decline in Liverpool or whether they just haven't been able to go and buy a new 100 million pound forward. I don't know what's fair at this point because I think there's a little bit of a natural falling off for them. I don't think they're quite where they were in 2019 or 2020. I think that's that's fair. Does, does it reflect at all kind of Klopp's Borussia Dortmund teams? No, I, I, I don't think so because I... Um, obviously Liverpool have achieved a lot more uh, than those, well, achieved a lot more in Europe than those Borussia Dortmund teams did. They actually got over the line. Um, also, when the end came for Klopp at Dortmund, uh, it was much more dramatic. It was more of a, it felt like more of a fracturing rather than a kind of a gentle, you know, a, a sort of a sliding down the other side of the, the summit sort of feel. Whereas I think that, um, and I follow quite a few Liverpool fans on Twitter who say this, I think they haven't done a great job of refreshing that squad. Their succession planning hasn't quite been good enough. And there's actually a story in The Athletic, exclusively in Athletic today, broken by David Ornstein, or just David Ornstein. Um, you saying that, Uncle Damien Ornstein? Were you putting two TIFO <laughs> characters was, together? There? I've got the red line in my head. It's, you know, it's, it's a great pub. I, I spent a long time there over the summer. So it's kind of also was in the office quite a bit. So the two things have just merged, David Ornstein and the odd red line. And Uncle Damien, anyway, between the three, those three things, it's being claimed that Michael Edwards, the sporting director, is leaving the club at the end of the season, yeah. um, which is interesting. Ellipsis. Mm. So interesting, in fact, that I want to now talk about Burnley 1, 1 Leeds. <laughs> uh, Joe Devine, Burnley seemed to me to be very, 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 very aggressive. But are they too aggressive? <laughs> You've taken my only point. <laughs> no, I watched this game. No. I watched most of this game. You're kidding. They're not too aggressive. Burnley? You think they're too aggressive? Yes. No, it's, they're good fun. I don't I think like they're Burnley. any more they're any more aggressive than they have been no. kind of really? before. I feel like I've noticed a big jump. No, really? I think they're, they're interesting. They're, I think they maybe what you're, noticing, what you're noticing is... Um, they're pressing more, I think. I feel like I haven't watched Burnley enough over the last couple of years to be able to categorically say that this is true. And maybe we'll ask Alex or, or you can check next time. Next time, you know. I know about Burnley. You know, fine, whatever. Uh, why have you asked me? Because <laughs> you're doing my job today. <laughs> they, they pressed extremely heavily in this game. The interesting thing for me watching it as a sort of layman was uh, my expectation is I sit down, I watch Leeds sort of not necessarily hammer Burnley in the scoreline, but hammer them on the pitch, you know, try to win the ball back high. As they're being kicked off it. As they're being kicked off it. I expect to see a lot of, uh, of longer balls. I expect to see a relatively open game because of the way that I expect both teams to play or the ball moving back and forth quite a lot. And what I actually saw was Leeds attempting to play out from the back and Burnley pressing quite narrowly and quite high and aggressively winning the ball back high up the pitch. It didn't uh, uh, translate into uh, the goals that I suppose that they would have hoped that it would. But I watched it thinking, this is a smart um, tactical decision. And I know that uh, Burnley are a smart tactical team. I think they can be reduced to aggressive and kicking kicking other players off the pitch and whatever. But having, having uh, watched some TIFO videos about Burnley in the past and having sort of chatted about what Sean Dyche has done with that team... As I said, I think I think they're often unfairly reduced. They played uh, extremely an extremely sensible tactic in this game, which was a little bit different from what they would normally do. They adjusted, and that is not something that we associate with Burnley. I thought they did a good job. I did also think uh, that uh, their uh, striker, whose name I'm now forgetting, Ashley Barnes, Chris Wood, Ashley Barnes. Thank you. Uh, Ashley Barnes was was a tad over the top. <laughs> just, a, think he was. just a little bit. Just as if you know when you, you when almost you, sent him you, into you the leave, shadow realm. Of that, like, <laughs> when you leave the uh, leave the hob on in the kitchen, leave the room, and then you hear that come back just in time to turn it down. Just a little bit of overspill. Yeah. Um, he yeah, he's very bumpy. He was a very very bumpy. I think I tweeted as saying he reminds me of a very bumpy ones player in Rocket League. Quite annoying to play against, and occasionally not as effective as you would uh, you would want them to be. 
But um, the main thing I took from the game really is I don't really understand this Leeds team at the moment. I feel like I, this is a game I wouldn't necessarily accept, expect them to win, but would expect them to put in a performance which would make me think that they should have won. And that didn't happen in the game. I know that they had a lot more of the ball in the second half. Um, and I know that I missed a lot of the second half. But <laughs> with those two things taken into account, the parts of it that I did see, they didn't look like a dominant team. And I'm not sure what to expect from them now this season. I wonder if they. I wonder if um, that's a, that'll be something we talk about more in a few weeks' time if they don't up their game. I think we'll look at Burnley on IRL uh, and probably Leeds as well at some point. Tifo IRL yeah. it is on YouTube. Uh, Leeds, I think, are just getting warmed up, and I think it's hard for any team, no matter how good you are, if you are being pummeled mm-hmm. by like Burnley. Uh, I think Burnley are really clever tactically, and the way they've being able to stay in the Premier League all this time is because of very smart management, great coaching. Um, they sign particular players to fit the particular style, like particular brand of football. And I understand there's nothing wrong with that. But some of the challenges they put in are things that would cause Rammies on Sunday League, I think, genuinely. Like, really too strong. I don't know. Maybe. It's 100%. Mm. Barnes going in for that, like... Scissor like Chun Li sure. spinning round trying to like yeah, take yeah, him out. Sure. It was, that's that not one was over the top. But there's loads but I think of the points we made, and we can draw another Rocket League analogy here. Uh, within the Rocket League communities, I'm sure some listeners will will be aware. There is a sort of a, there's a line of thought which suggests that bumping players and demoing when your car bashes into another car instead of attempting to go for the ball as a pure football or pure Rocket League player would is not a real tactic and is 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 rude or is toxic within the game. Whereas my opinion is. It's the best tactic. If you bump into someone when they're not expecting, if you don't let them do whatever they want, they can't do whatever they want. That's exactly what the tactic is. That's the perfect thing to do. If they're better than you, skill wise, then just push them. It works really well. And I think people get very upset about it. And I certainly get upset when a when a pushy ones player gets all bumpy with me. But after I've had some time to calm down <laughs> and I've apologised to the people in my immediate vicinity, I can respect that bumpy ones player for uh, doing what they should do, you know? And that's what I think of Burnley. Well, let's go to happier times. And Tottenham won nil Watford because, Seb, that team you like is top of the league. Huh? Top of the league with a few asterisks. It's been... Hasn't been the most attractive, and uh, there are a few gaps in that team which either need to be filled or very, very well disguised. But it's been it's been good. It's been um, a couple of people have, have drawn parallels with Jose Mourinho. But then what I'd say is yes, it's exactly like that, just without all the hatred and all the goals being conceded. Like so, it's not really like that at all. He looks right, doesn't he? Don't you think he looks right? In the chair. I think he, I didn't think he would look right, but he does look right in the chair. Funny thing about Nuno is he's quite charismatic. He's um, People don't think this because his press conferences are notoriously boring. If you sit there, he, he's one of those... Um, he's a little bit of a pulis in the sense that he has no time for the theatre of the press conference. He just wants to go in, bore everyone to tears and then leave. But he's quite an interesting guy. And he's um, when he's in a good mood, he's someone that you can... Yeah, you can imagine players gravitating towards. But it's been, I, I tell you what's been most appealing about it is that one of the problems last year and for a little bit of the season before that was that Tottenham never looked fit enough. And so they had a strategy which is pretty well publicised on the Mourinho to find an early goal if they could, take a lead and then sit back and, and play almost um, solely off, off the counter-attack. And the problem used to be is that they would get sort of towards the last quarter of a game, look knackered, someone would make a mental mistake and the whole strategy was just would just fall to pieces. It does seem this season, even though it's only been three games, that this team is better conditioned and there's a little bit more cohesion. And also some of the players have recovered from being Mourinho'd. I think that his habit of pointing fingers and telling individual players that they are not very good Maverick strategy that that is um, I think that damaged quite a few of them so Davison Sanchez has greatly improved he was a catastrophe for most of last season looks reborn um, Eric Dyer's played very very well you know you 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 see the sort of the um, you know after like there's been a you know an apocalypse and the ground is scorched and everything's yeah, on fire yeah we all know after there's been an apocalypse <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Very familiar. there's no signs of life well, this is at this stage. I think we've discovered a few trees. Like 
you know, some marine-based wildlife swimming around. You're thinking, oh, look over there. There's a Davinson this Sanchez. Is, <laughs> right. So there's a long way to go. There aren't any buildings. There's mm. no running water. And we haven't actually constructed any sort of industry or forms of government. But it's better. And you, you, <laughs> you feel a little league. bit better about being in the environment. <laughs> How does this work? No, that's too negative. Maybe all the woodland creatures could come into the stadium and feast upon the excellent grass that they've built. Although it does it's have really in. nice grass. Don't eat the More grass. More importantly, listen, there's there's going to be a drop-off. I think that's very clear. September and October are going to be very tricky for Spurs, given the fixtures. Uh, but it's a it's a really nice start, and it's the beginning of something different. Uh, I don't know what that something actually is, but it's a, it's a direction. Players seem to be buying into it. The Kane thing is over for the next eight months. Um, presumably that won't come back until next summer so it all feels a little bit fresher and that's really nice and it's it's enjoyable again because it's also the focus seems to be on what the team are doing rather than just what the individual guy in control mm. of the team is saying or you know how he's behaving and that's kind of refreshing but it was good nice goal well done three out of three and I thought it was interesting Joe that you said that Nuno just looked right in the chair mm. like he just fit it it made a lot more sense as though that that business in particular was running much better with a change of person in the chair. Almost like you could say, the TIFO Football Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I am being very... For a moment in my head there, I thought, oh, that's nice. JJ's noticed I've said an interesting thing. I'm offering a little bit more of a kind of cultural, you know, viewer role. He's going to bring... He thought that we need more of this, but actually you weren't valuing me at all. You were devaluing me and de-skilling me yes. and you're in my chair. And guess what? I'm bored of this now, so I'm going... <laughs> Oh, don't go again. <laughs> this episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Joe's actually gone again. This seems to be a thing he likes to do in podcasts now, and we just have to accept it because he is in charge. So, Wolves nil, one Manchester United. What did we think of this game, Nick? Was it good? Are Manchester United good? Uh, in order, yes, and I don't know. Um, is this the the? I don't want to bring up Cristiano Ronaldo again, but I'm just I'm going to bring up Cristiano Ronaldo again. Let's do it. It's probably quite an important one of the big things that happened this week, so we should reference that. Yeah, this kind of it's, signing him makes no logical sense for uh, Manchester United, but that is kind of if you assume that Manchester United are a sort of logical football club, whereas they seem to be almost entirely run by emotions, keeping, bringing Ronaldo back and keeping Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in charge. Um, they have been sort of reasonably decent over the last sort of couple of years, really, by basically having a few good players who will at some points do something good, almost as a sort of, almost despite the environment and the system in which they're playing in. Um, and so by that kind of weird, slightly twisted, nonsensical logic, so having someone like Cristiano Ronaldo, who is not a player that really kind of lends himself to a, a system, or not anymore anyway, that really lends himself to a system and just is around to, to do things, um, it, it almost makes you think that this might work because you know they they just have a lot of these players now. They can just and if you stick enough of them on the pitch, then things will happen at some point. Yeah, which was kind of sort of what happened uh, in in this game. I mean, you know, Mason Greenwood gets the ball on the right and cuts in and 
Keep probably should have saved the shot, but um, you know, if you have enough good players, you can just chuck them on the pitch and they'll do something. Well, this is eventually. the weird secret of football: is that the best players tend to win most of the matches. Yeah, but they don't always make for the best team. And I'm trying to think that this sort of strategy of buying the best individual players seems to be something they were getting away from a little bit. Uh, but I mean, look at real. I think the closest example I can think of is that Real Madrid team that won Champions League three times in a row just with great individuals maybe not a particular system it was just that Zidane found a way to get them all to to function properly in the same way and then Zidane's not often thought of as some great tactical mind but he did then win the Champions League was it three years in a row yeah is that right yes uh, yes it was I think it was but yeah I mean a logical football club would have said well no we're not you know, spending an awful lot of money on this 36-year-old who doesn't really fit into our system will buy a defensive midfielder instead. But Manchester United aren't logical. Cristiano Ronaldo isn't a logical signing. But somehow, two illogical things could come together to make something a little bit more logical. I don't know. This could all be nonsense. But... Uh, <laughs> no, but uh, I, think, I think Nick's right, though, because if it, the, the thing about... The emotion is really interesting because if you read the account of how this actually happened, then there's a lot of outside people influencing it. So according to the reporting, Alex Ferguson got involved, called Ronaldo, Rio Ferdinand got involved, Patrice Evra got involved. Like These are all people that are um, inextricably linked to Manchester United's past and what Manchester United are. But it's a, well, we want him so that nobody else has him because... And that seems what it's based on. Like I, the Real Madrid thing is is a pretty good example. And do you remember that? Well, Zidane also had Casemiro there, and Manchester United are trying to do things with McFred. Like it's it's a. I think Scott McTominay is a better player than he's given credit for. I also think Fred is, but I don't think they're anywhere near the kind of the level that you need them to be to go and actually do something um, to actually achieve something tangible. And it's just a really weird allocation of resources. It feels like somebody's. It feels like a decision that somebody's made um, with like, it's one of the decisions that someone has to make within 60 seconds. Like someone phoned up Ed Woodward and said, oh, you, this is happening, but you don't have more than a minute to consider it. And he was like, ah, oh. and then someone said, oh yeah, that but could have been what City it was, might do yeah. it if you don't. He was like, oh, oh yeah, okay, do it, fine. See, you know, do, and, and do it, I think it's a really good, do I think there's any of the big positive parts of it? I, I understand the logic of exactly what you're saying with the squad building and stuff. There's something Roy Keane said I thought was really interesting and I agree with it is that you bring someone like Ronaldo, an elite, one of the best players of all time, into that environment, and then players like Greenwood, Rashford, they see how the absolute elite train, how they look after themselves, um, and they bring a certain uh, level of professionalism, determination maybe, and also just pure skill level. Like, he'll, he'll be hitting shots in the bottom corner every single time in, in training, I assume. And that can only benefit them in training and makes them better as a team, surely? But who... Okay, if you think about sort of Roy Keane's generation or the the, the teams that were constructed before and after him, yeah. like who fulfilled that role really among that group? Cantona, they didn't need it? it. What's that? Not Cantona. No, but Cantona was in his 20s when he joined Man United, not like sort of a veteran player at the end of his career who's sort of after one more big contract. I'm not saying Ronaldo is not a, still a, a really fabulous player. He's brilliant, clearly. But, um, I think Keane's example was Stuart Pearce at Forest that he saw. He just saw the level that these top But then again... Were. Yeah, I get that. But Stuart Pearce, when, when Roy Keane was playing with Stuart Pearce, Stuart Pearce wasn't 38, or sorry, 36. I mean, it's, it's it's different. It's kind of, if you bring a world-class player into an environment and they are still absolutely the top of the game, I, I get the aspirational thing. But then the other half of it is, okay, Ronaldo's signed a contract. I'd be very surprised if there weren't some assurances about game time in that contract um, regarding uh, the Premier League and the Champions League. And yesterday we saw a little, another little glimpse of just what a good player Mason Greenwood is. And also, like those players, I know it's they're not quite at the same level, but they also they they have Edison Cavani there. He's a veteran player to achieve things in the game. He's yeah, a good professional. Just like a new deal to stick around to be the main number nine, and suddenly they've brought. It's it's a weird one. It feels like um, I'm you know fans will get excited about it. I'm, I'm sure about that, but um, it feels like a. It was done so that he wouldn't go to City. Which there is, uh, I mean, firstly, I... I get that too, uh, you know. uh, the, 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 There is an awful lot of logic, I think, to, uh, as stupid and as infantile as it may initially seem, of not uh, of signing someone just so Manchester City don't get him. Because 
you know what, what United are. It's just money. They're just paying paying him money. It doesn't really matter to them. Um, and if you know it costs them however much it is, twenty million uh, in transfer fee and same again in wages, then that's probably worth the money to not for, for so that Manchester City don't have him. The the uh, where it suddenly falls down is then you actually have to find a way to put him in your team. Well, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, uh, referencing this actual game, so a team that could probably have done with someone like Ronaldo, I mean, everyone could, uh, is Wolves, who seem to not be able to score goals. Now, that's bad, Seb, isn't it? It's not good. It's not It's not a good trait, football teams not scoring goals. But it's like baffling, because they're creating really good chances. And actually, rather than a sort of collective level of haplessness, Yes, oh, not yesterday, sorry, Sunday. They were just very unlucky. I mean, they, they ran into a couple of good saves from the goalkeeper, a brilliant goal on clearance from Aaron Wan-Bissaka at one point, a little bit of bad finishing, yes. But I've, I've, I've enjoyed watching Wolves so much. I mean, great. They, that group of players, when Troy uh, and Trincao and Raul Jimenez are all on form, but they're all kind of, um, kind of orbiting around each other, it's great to watch. How, and, I've not seen this game. How did Trincao get on? Because I mean, he looked great at Barcelona, maybe even yeah. last season. What's has he adjusted? He he looked he looked pretty good. I mean, uh, he looked pretty good as the whole forward line did until they got to about twenty yards from goal, and they just seemed to have a kind of collective existential crisis when when they got that close to the goal. They looked fantastic up until that point, and you know there were a few occasions, particularly in the first half, which sort of if United would have lost this game, it would have um, thoroughly backed up the idea that they need to sign a defensive midfielder because there was a couple of times where Troy just ran directly through the middle of the pitch and, and directly through the, the section of the pitch where there should have been a sort of competent defensive midfielder. But then you could almost see when he got to around the, the D where he just he was just like, okay, we're not really sure what to do here. And I think Trincao was a little bit like that. Raul Jimenez doesn't look quite at it just yet, which is, you know, understandable given that, you know, what he's come back from. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they've had, what was it? They've had 57 shots in their three games, haven't scored a goal. Only Liverpool of Man City have taken more shots. Um, and they are, but I don't, I don't know about Trincao, Triori's not going to change. I don't think this is this is what he does. So they're kind of putting a, an awful lot. And I know this is this is you could boil this down to a team hopes the good players that they have play well, but they're putting an awful lot on Raúl Jiménez becoming or going back to how good he was before his injury. And given the nature of the injury, that's you know it's, it's quite a big if. Oh, I mean. The very idea of him having to go and contest any sort of headers. Yeah, I don't know how a man gets over that. It's no, incredible. No, I mean it's uh, there's uh, probably a really interesting piece in this. If they, you know, they would talk about this in the not just the, the physical but the psychological, mm-hmm. um, you know, recovery and the treatment that Jimenez has had to go through over the last, you know, what, what is it? No, it's not quite a year because, yeah, like you say, he. he the, the the idea of even going up for a header, not not just kind of you know heading the ball. I mean, heading the heading the ball itself would be I, I would be terrified enough of that. Um, we did a um, we did a, a podcast with Ian Hume about a year ago, yes, maybe yes, six seven months ago, and it was really interesting because he was talking. Obviously, uh, for those who don't know, Ian Hume uh, suffered a fractured skull playing against Chris Morgan. Uh, I think back in two thousand six, and he said when he came back to training when he headed a ball, he he found his teammates' reaction to it was weirder than his because everyone was kind of, everyone basically felt as we do, that how can you go back to heading a ball or contesting for a header, defending a corner, these kind of things. But the way he described it was he just, um, I mean, people go back and and listen to the episode. Ian's very, very interesting on this issue. He was very forthright and matter of fact. That was his career. It was his living. He lived the game, didn't want anything else. He just managed to, he had the mental strength just to get on with it because he had no choice and he wanted to carry on in the sport. Um, I don't know, like I I look at, um, this might be a really stupid observation, but the thing he wears, the protective thing is 
would that not make you feel I'm trying to imagine how I would feel playing football in something like that I remember Wayne Rooney when he, he got a cut around his hairline or something and he was wearing it whilst on England duty and it was it wasn't even like um it wasn't even like one of those rugby um scrum caps that you see it was bigger it was like a sort of it was it was more of a helmet um and it just it's just got to feel very very strange like not only just running around but also controlling the ball going for a header if you're wearing something like that surely it gets much much harder to put the reason for wearing that out of your mind oh i see yes because you're constantly aware of it because it's there you can't forget yeah there's like it, it, it because it marks you out there was um he's just left hamburg actually but there was a a guy called i forget his first name his surname is jasula jasula um and he wore a protective hat which looked like a, he looks like a medieval knight in it <laughs> It's it's really different. It's not like one of those. It's not like a, a Petacek one. It is more like um, something you'd see at a joust. It's very very strange. And so you have this bizarre appearance, which must be odd for your opponents and for the way that they treat you when they're contesting a ball. Like if if, if Nick and I are going for a header and he's wearing that on his head, if I'm a decent human being, I'm a little bit reticent about what I'm doing. I think. What about if Nick was so wearing far. a full suit of armor? No, if if, the, if if he's wearing full suit of armor, I clatter him. He's fine. He'd be okay. He'll, he'll, he'll be able to deal with that. But it's a, I, I don't know, it just must alter the parameters of competition a little bit, I would have thought. What if I was on a strange. horse as well? Would you use yeah. Knock you off. Yeah, I, yeah. I like that. But I think, I mean, it changes the dynamic of the game of football if one of you is on a horse. I can understand this suit of armor uh, for protection to try and win a header. Really impact my pace, which is already... It would import pace. Pace would go down from ninety-nine to ten. Yeah. 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 How, how many is ninety-nine out of if you're measuring my pace here? Um well, <laughs> speaking of a player who has pace probably not of a thousand or ninety-nine, but a bit slower now because he's a bit older, is Lionel Messi, who is the best player I have ever seen. I love him very much. And he played on Sunday. He played for PSG against Rem. Is that how you say it? Am I close? Well, I'm going to go with that. I'm sorry if it's wrong. Rem nil to PSG. Um, I watched this game. There's a bit that I thought was excellent uh, in this notes. It says, um, as soon as Messi came on, PSG seemed to revert to some kind of circus mode. It means that they suddenly became very aware. It's like, oh, we're, you know, we, we've got Messi in our team now. We have to play in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And I thought PSG were largely good in this game. And they were quite cutting and nice moves. Scored a very nice second goal. And then Messi comes on and first you had Neymar glaring at the pitch and being a little bit upset having been taken off, which was just fabulous Sunday night entertainment. But then it all became very, oh, we've watched a few Barcelona games on TV, so we know how to play. And we're like, well, no, you don't, because they spend like 15 years training to do that and Messi did as well. So That's interesting you said that. That's exactly just, what I saw as well. And I, I thought they were rushing the passes. They, were making, uh, they weren't making this extra pass kind of thing Pep Guardiola often talks about, is you need to make an extra pass to be able to be in the right position to make those forced passes through to him. But they were just trying to get it through as though thinking, I mean, he's a little genius, little magician, but you can't, yeah. if you've got three players around you, even, you know, he's not... He is still a human being, so he can't do these well, things all the time. There was also a couple of the players that he was playing against. There was there was, some, there was kind of split between those who are a little bit in awe of him and those who were, I'm not going to become part of a highlight. And he just thought anytime <laughs> he went past him, there was one guy who Messi gave a pass off to, I think it might have been Mbappe, possibly Ashraf Hakimi. And he cut in and he ran towards the D. And one of the defenders just grabs him around the neck. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you just see his face. You just think, oh, I don't know if I've done the right thing here. I don't, can I, could I have done without this at this point in my career? <laughs> this is such an obvious thing to say, and everyone will say it, but it felt really weird seeing him in a different shirt. It just doesn't seem real. It's like, I just want him to go back to Barcelona for in a weird way. Yeah. And he, uh, this is almost certainly sort of projecting, but he, looked a bit uncomfortable as well yeah, he, it, was, so, yeah. it was like he was kind of uh i don't know it, it felt like and this is sort of partly an analogy partly what kind of what actually happened but if you've ever been in a room with a bunch of people and then someone really famous walks in everyone just kind of everyone's attention is focused on them and that was what 
uh, podcast today when you came in exactly yeah 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 the the the, everyone's attention gravitated towards this kind of beacon of charisma that was now in the in the studio yeah um so which is you know very much like messy and and this will presumably this will be what it stays like for a long time i think it's quite interesting that a lot's been made of the um i think the goalkeeper who had a picture he got he got messy to take a picture of his son which I, i'm you know can, you can get very kind of proper football man about this and say you know he's supposed to be competing with him he's this isn't some kind of sideshow whatever but what i thought was more interesting was the um the uh rims 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 not sure president said before the game um how how he ho- hoped that the home fans kind of stood up and cheered messi uh, and uh, this kind of feeds into this slightly odd, well, I find it slightly odd anyway, idea that uh, ever since um, the Qataris came in at PSG, I would have thought that the entirety of Liga would have been kind of thoroughly put out by this and annoyed that, the, you know, that they are effectively have been put within no chance of winning everything yeah. because they will just hoover up any, any decent players that... Have hap- uh, that uh, any of them might come across, um, but I interviewed the president of uh, Nice, I think, a few years ago, and he was just he was sort of sincerely very positive about the idea. He goes, "Well, no, this is great because you know it'll raise the level of the whole division and uh, it'll bring loads of more attention to uh, to Liga, and we will benefit from." increased TV revenues and increased gate receipts and all this kind of thing, which, you know, as it turns out, logically, apart from the sort of the the uh, snafu with the TV rights thing uh, last season, but it has kind of worked out. I think that, I think they, they would have usually expected about sort of 10, 12,000 at that game last night. Turns out with, uh, after Messi was announced, they sold out all their tickets um, I bet the, the numbers for viewing it as well were much higher. Yeah, I mean, I watched it for a start. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but I, it seems sort of slightly counterintuitive that um, that the other other teams would welcome this kind of behemoth suddenly appearing in their division. And I suppose Messi signing is the sort of logical extreme of that. That you know this this kind of incredibly glamorous and wealthy club have signed probably the greatest player that's ever been. Uh, and everyone is delighted about it rather than this being another symbol of this completely imbalanced yeah. and quite, you know, possibly morally repugnant, that's, um, you know, club existing in their division. But one of the things I thought, uh, we'll move on from this, but I thought, people described it as being like the Harlem Globetrotters is what PSG are a bit like and this was the most like the best example of that I could possibly see it just felt like there was a Hollywood movie star who'd come in and that's what the whole even the the game felt like a build up to Messi coming on rather than anything else which is odd he's bigger than the club really it's kind of odd but I mean maybe we'll change with that I think we should do one more game and Seb I'd like it if you told me about Atletico 2 2 Real because um, something very bad happened at the end of this game. Yeah, well, first of all, really good game. Great fun. Just uh, sometimes those Sunday night games can be a little bit soporific. You sort of find yourself thinking, God, I'm, I'm, I think I might have had enough football. And you're just sitting there and thinking, I, you know, if, if I could be bothered to go to bed, I would just turn the TV off now. <laughs> but this was great. It was full of energy and life and Atletico were great. But they fell behind twice, equalised once. And the second equaliser is a 95th minute of injury time. Uh, a ball sort of drops in behind the defence. Defender goes to head it back to his goalkeeper. Goalkeeper has moved probably a little bit far to his left to accommodate the flight of the ball. And it's not that the defender just heads the ball past him. It's that he heads the ball past him at a very agonising pace. And the goalkeeper should still obviously save it before it goes in and when you um as the ball crosses the line and Villarreal realize that they've uh, they've thrown away two valuable points the whole environment becomes like a renaissance painting and you have people sort of like <laughs> flat on their face yeah, just down. devastated and it, not just on the pitch because you see that all the time like defenders just collapsing and you know head and hands and stuff but there's um there's a great picture of Unai Emery and next to him there's some 
I, I don't know who he is, but some Villarreal assistant that's just flat down. <laughs> on the, on the it, floor, was, but, it was sort of Bayern Munich 1989 <laughs> levels of kind of absolute But without any of the energy. Like no, one's, no, one's, no one's beating their fists. No one's doing a Sammy Kafour. People are just, they've just, it's just ended them. And yeah. it's just, it's complete devastation. And it's one of the, okay, it's the beginning of the season. This wasn't really a game that mattered for anything beyond a couple of points, but it's one of the most devastating ways to throw away points I've ever seen. It's been awful. Yeah. I mean, I in, in context, the Atletico are basically the, the title favourites, wouldn't they be this season, maybe? I would say so. They're the best. I, I, they're the best of the uh, few rounds we've had so far. Like they're the best Spanish team, I'd say. And last night they played Sunday night. Sorry, they played with the intensity of champions. They look great, um, and they were better than Real Madrid. Barcelona bored me to tears. Um, that's the kind of the the um, converse of the PSG situation. I've all got so used to just being able to turn on the channel and watching Messi and Barca and being pretty much guarantee that something cool is going to happen like something something of a really high quality is going to going to reward you um and i watched it and it was slow and pedestrian and dire and it was just uh, i kind of just i just turned it off i just couldn't be bothered um but uh yeah atletico looked very good um and our uh did not lose thanks to a catastrophe and i mean catastrophe in, in proper emphasis it was just it's it's excruciating to watch. I'm sure you can find it on the internet. There's lots of stuff there. And also Alex of TFO did a, a great breakdown of how Atletico's system has changed away from that 442 we associate with Atletico to something else. And to find out what that is, you can go to the video on TFO IRL and, and see it. And I believe that that's probably the best way to end it by plugging Alex's video on TFO IRL. Um, so yes, we've had a lot of laughs. Uh, Joe was here and then he left halfway through and uh, he'll be hosting next week won't he that's good everything goes back to normal then I can relax uh, okay so I'm going to say thanks to Nick Miller for thank you thank you and we could do this for hours pleasure is all mine uh, yes yeah, I'm sure it was pleasure is all mine and to you Seb who I love talking to there we oh. go thank you JJ Bull nice way to end okay uh, yeah Joe will be back next week properly and um, that's it. So thanks for listening and have a lovely time. The Athletic.